You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 873 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday morning. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast. If you're a new listener, I am the managing editor of PeachStreetHoops.com, covering the Atlanta Hawks, as well as a staff writer for Dime on Uproxx, covering the NBA and college basketball and the NBA draft. And uh, lots of fun to be had on today's podcast. First, we'll touch on some news when it comes to the health and safety protocol released by the NBA over the weekend, as well as some key dates to follow and some procedural contract stuff with the Hawks, latest news, etc. And the second half of the podcast will be a conversation that I had with Eric Horn of The Athletic, who covers the Thunder. Eric is fantastic at what he does covering Thunder, and obviously the Hawks just signed Danilo Gallinari to a contract, and Eric was lucky enough to cover Gallinari up close and personal last season. So some great insight there from Eric that we'll hear on today's show. Before all of that, though, I want to tell you about our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. As I said at the top of the podcast, there is some news to hit on before we get to conversation with Eric that is coming up very shortly. The NBA did release a protocol for health and safety over the weekend, and some highlights of that would would be that a player can return 10 days after the first date of a COVID-positive test, at least 24 hours without a fever, or if they're using fever-reducing medications and if all symptoms have improved. Also, that player can return potentially sooner with at least two consecutive negative PCR test results. Also, the league is talking about smaller traveling parties, a tier system for how members of the organization have to follow certain things, and that leads into all kinds of you know, minutiae. I'm not going to be an expert on that necessarily. I will follow what people are reporting, and I do have the document. And by the way, that's publicly available. There's some nice breakdowns from ESPN and other places that were reporting on this, so I will not go through all the uh, all the goings on with the COVID protocol, but it is very extensive. It's very, very long, and uh, NBA teams will be in in a very interesting place the next couple of weeks and months. Um, As for the schedule and the impact on that that Hawks fans will definitely be keeping an eye on, voluntary individual workouts for the season can actually already have begun beginning on November 24th. But the transition period to like full-blown training camp stuff is on December 1st through the 5th, which is coming up this week, obviously. 
th those are mandatory individual workouts, so teams have to be uh, sort of gathering now. And by the way, every player has to have at least three negative tests before starting mandatory workouts, but that can be in on December 1st through for five days. Those are individual workouts. And by the way, at the same time, the NBA is having what, what it's calling a, quote, media week, end quote, since there's not um, designated media days. Normally, that's sort of a big gathering um, in advance of the season to kick it all off. Not happening this year for obvious reasons, so... I will say the first actual training camp stuff that you might think of, of that in that way is December 6th, which is a week from today. On Sunday, December 6th, that's when group workouts can begin, when you can kind of be in full go if you are the Hawks or other teams. And from there, it's all speed ahead because the preseason is going to be starting around the league on Friday, December 11th, so less than two weeks from now. And the Hawks open up that night with a home game against, against the Orlando Magic. So, you know... 12 days from now, 11 days from now, as you're listening to this, the Hawks will be playing basketball with referees in a official capacity. Also, those, those same two teams, the Hawks and the Magic, have a rematch on that Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. at State Farm Arena. And then the Hawks have their last two preseason games on the road against Memphis on December 17th and, and December 19th. Obviously, the lack of travel would dictate why you would only have two opponents for four games of the preseason. The scheduling there makes a lot of sense. And those are obviously the two closest teams to Atlanta, driving distance-wise. Obviously, they'll probably fly, but um, closest proximity to Atlanta is Memphis and Orlando, so that explains that. Um, by the way, this is obviously an obscenely short timeline, and I wouldn't expect everybody to play in those games. We'll obviously have full coverage of that as we get going here. No TV info yet as well. I'm sure there'll be some broadcast information, but this is all announced by the NBA over the weekend, and it was all announced in one large clump. So there you go on that. But the preseason is going to be coming fast and furious, and within a week from now, the Hawks will be taking the floor in full-blown group workouts for the season. So we're almost there. We basically are there at this point. Elsewhere, on the news front, the Hawks announced the Chris Dunn signing on Saturday. That was the only move that had not been formally announced by the team, so no surprise there. He will fit into the room mid-level exception. No surprise there either. The quote from Travis Schleich in the release referred to Dunn as a, quote, elite defender and an intense competitor, end quote. That's about what you thought as you, as to why they would be signing signing Dunn. Also, he talked about Dunn on the last podcast that we shared. Um, actually, I think it was on Friday when it actually went live. But um, if you missed that, it's definitely worth a listen. Lots of audio from Travis Schlenk. Good insight about a, a number of different things, including Chris Dunn, um, you know, John Collins, all that kind of stuff on that podcast. If you missed it, go back and download that one. That was a fun one on Friday. Elsewhere, Brandon Goodwood's contract is now officially guaranteed. It became so on Sunday. Not a surprise at all. It was, it was, it was reported that it was going to be guaranteeing for the Hawks, but technically the Hawks could have waived Goodwin up, up until 5 p.m. on Sunday and only owed him $100,000. Now it's guaranteed for $1.7 million, and uh, that was a procedural thing, but you know, there you go on that. Shouts to Brandon Goodwin. Get, get that money, and there you go. Um, the last bit of housekeeping on today's podcast is that Solomon Hill's contract is officially non-guaranteed, and it's not going to be guaranteed until the league-wide cutdown date in late February. So I talked about Hill last week on the podcast. I think it's a good signing. It's a good value. But now he's also their only non-guaranteed deal. Now that Goodwin is uh, Goodwin is locked in at his number, and you know, sort of, it's sort of interesting that Goodwin has actually more security from that standpoint than Hill does, because Hill's a veteran, is more established. But um, if they need a, if they need a roster spot for some reason in the in the coming days, Hill will be the guy that would be the most logical one to part with because it would not cost them very much money. He is he is non-guaranteed, but. There you go on that. Solomon Hill will be the 14th, 15th man on the roster and uh, provide some nice depth for the Hawks. Okay, we will now transition to my interview with Eric Corn of The Athletic. And as, as a caveat, we did record this last week before hearing the, that the third year of the contract is non-guaranteed for Gallinari, which I talked about on a previous podcast. But just note that when you're listening to this, we, we get into the fact that he's been, uh, it's a three-year deal for Gallinari, etc. We did not know at that time 
that it was non-guarantee, which again helps the Hawks. So no downside there, but just keep, keep, keep that in mind when, when you're listening to this podcast. Also, great insight here from Eric uncovering Gallinari, what to expect from him on the court, and much, much more. Before we get to Eric, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. When we return, it'll be me and Eric Horn talking about Danilo Gallinari. I am joined now by Eric Horn of The Athletic, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brett. I appreciate it, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. We're all uh, we're all flying around as we speak here on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, and, you know, our, our mission will be to, to get into the Danilo Gallinari signing for the Hawks, a guy that you have covered for the last year in Oklahoma City. But I have to ask you before we dive into that, what's the whirlwind been like for you the last week or so with all the NBA transactions and the Thunder have been particularly busy? Yeah, you know, it's 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 been wild, man. You know, I've, I've covered the team for five years and this is this ranks up there with one of the wildest times I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, so much is happening to where you know it's really hard to do analysis because you know your immediate your immediate reaction to when a, a team acquires a player uh, or two is to see how they fit to kind of try and work out the numbers around the team. You know where they are in terms of the cap and the tax and, and how they're going to play. And you just really haven't been able to do any of that with the Thunder over the past week because as soon as these guys get in the door, they're gone. So the, the basis of what the Thunder are doing right now is there's a clear strategy. Um, you know, get assets in terms of first-round picks and future picks and to cut salary. And anything beyond that is just pretty futile to get into. You shouldn't get into, like – what the roster is going to play like <laughs> and you shouldn't get into, um, you know, where's the thunder in terms of the salary cap on Tuesday, November, blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> just, just follow the goals, what they're trying to accomplish. And then we can worry about that a little later, but yeah, it's been nuts. Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things, you know, the thunder were of course a playoff team last year. So people might be surprised that they're kind of going into this rebuild mode, but that was kind of, you know, foreshadowed a little bit that it was going to be happening. And Gallinari, as an expiring contract, there was some talk they could maybe work on a sign trade or whatever, but it felt like he was going to be leaving. Was that the feeling you, that you had the whole time, at least recently, that he'd be out the door? Yeah, in some way, shape, or form, yes. Um, like I, I, And I think that people kind of get this misconception that when guys leave, that there was something wrong with what happened there. Like, they didn't like their experience. I think that he, like, enjoyed his experience playing there. You rarely get guys that say, like, they didn't enjoy playing in Oklahoma City. But I think that, you know, once they acquired him, it was pretty understood that, you know, this wasn't going to be a guy that was going to be here long term. Uh, he's getting older. You know, he's a guy who can help teams that are ready to win now because he's such a great shooter. And his shooting just changes the geometry of the floor for everybody he plays with. And, you know, he's a guy who he's probably looking at his last really good payday based on his age and injuries. So, you know, they almost they almost traded him to Miami um, around the trade deadline. Miami wasn't willing to go into, you know, the years that he wanted in terms of the money on an extension. So, you know, that deal got stopped up. And, you know, now he's in a situation where he can get the money, he can get the playing time and and. You know, I think it worked out best for both parties. Yeah, so the Hawks are pretty crowded, and we'll, we can get into that if we want to, but what was your reaction when you saw, for me, it was the three years and the big money that he got, but what did you think when that when that number came across, three years, 60-plus million for him at age 32? I I was surprised because of, you know, just the, the teams that had the, the, the space to sign a guy like him this offseason, 
Um, it didn't seem like from what I had heard and from all the conversations I'd had with him that he was going to want to go to a team that wasn't trying, that, that wasn't really in the competition for a championship. You know, though, kudos to the Hawks. Maybe they convinced him, you know, that they're a team that's really pushing to get this thing done in the Eastern Conference and make the playoffs. But you would think that's going to be a pretty big leap to go from where they were last year um, to where they're, you know, where they're trying to get to now. I don't know if all the additions they made are necessarily going to, you know, get them into uh, the playoffs or even a viable seed. But look, when they throw that kind of money at you, like, I don't care what you say before that. Like, I want to play for a contender. I want to do this and that. If somebody throws you that much money, you got to at least consider it, no matter what the team is. And, um, you know, it's it, it, it kind of seems contradictory that this is a guy who was talking about wanting to win a championship and now he's going to the Hawks. Um, but it, it's also, you know, these guys have to look out for themselves. And I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself and, and what's best for you. And this might be his last payday. So that was shocking. The, the, the number was surprising considering like who was in the running, who had the money to spend. Um, I always thought the, the, the signing trade would be the best bet because, you know, they could go over the cap to sign him and then they could trade him to a team that, you know, had a better chance of winning a title. Um, but, yeah, the Atlanta part and the money were, were both really surprising to me. Yeah, and I think obviously the Hawks are trying to win now. Uh, your point about championships is a little bit different, of course. I know Hawks fans want to think want to think that way at this point, but they're not they're not quite there yet. At the same time, they yeah. are clearly pushing in to get better, which might have been part of the appeal here. And I said this before it happened with Gallinari and any of these older guys is that they were going to have to overpay to get any of these guys to come to Atlanta, and they mm-hmm. knew they knew that, um, and I think they probably did here. I mean, that's not to say that he can't return some value. But three years at age 32 at that money is probably going to end up not being the greatest investment in the world on a per-season uh, basis. I, mean, I guess I'll we'll sort of transition now. I want to ask you some, uh, some basketball stuff. How is he going to age? I mean, there, this is a guy who's had some durability questions. He's been relatively healthy at times, but a 32-year-old didn't play a ton of minutes in last year in Oklahoma City. What's your ex- expectation of him and how he's going to look the next couple years? Yeah, the, you, you bring up a good point. The, the, the minutes that he played... Um, the Thunder did a really good job of managing him physically, I think. Um, you know, they rested him on the second night of back-to-backs a lot during the season. And now with the season even more condensed, I think that that's going to be really important for him. The, the Hawks are going to have to work out a way, you know, to rest him on the on, on nights where they're playing, you know, three and five nights or three and four nights. or And I don't know what's going to happen with John Collins. Maybe we can get into that, but... You know, it, it, it's not a bad thing to, to have some depth at the power forward position uh, with Gallinari because, like you said, he's older. He's got an injury history. Um, he's not as great as he was defensively. He's not very explosive. But, you know, just just his presence on the floor, as I mentioned, is going to open up a lot of stuff. Um, he doesn't need a lot of space to get his shot off. He can shoot over the top of defenses even on a set shot. Uh, he's a guy who can work well out of the post. He's a guy who can shoot the three off the dribble a little bit. Um, he's just a phenomenal shooter at his size. And that's going to just change the geometry of the floor for guys like Trey Young. Um, I, I imagine that he and Trey will you know, incorporate some kind of pick-and-pop game really early. And you're going to be able to see Gallinari take a lot of pick-and-pop threes. Um, it, it, it's just a good fit for any team to have a guy who shoots it as well as he does. 
Yeah, and that's that's the big appeal is his offense, of course. And you mentioned John Collins. That's a, that's a situation that we're all monitoring very closely. But I think the Hawks uh, know that Gallinari, like you said, has to be managed to some degree. The Hawks have suddenly a ton of depth after having basically no depth the last year or so. So it's kind of a sharp change. But I think part of that anyway with Gallinari is that they know he's not going to play 78 games in a full season. This season will be shorter anyway, but even in a in a normal season, he's like a 60-70 game player at the most, it feels like, the last couple of years. And that makes a lot of sense for a guy who is as old as he is. And especially if you're investing three years, you want to be mindful of the future and try to get some value later on as well. So I would also expect that. No one's told me that, but I'd be pretty surprised if he was playing back-to-backs for most of the season. Yeah, it, it, he's just at an age where you, you – it, it will be doing him a disservice of playing him – you know, more than, you know, between, you know, 30 to 32 minutes a game, if that. Uh, you have enough depth with the Hawks now. And, you know, no matter what happens with Collins, you have a situation where you can even, you know, play DeAndre Hunter at some small ball four. Um, and, I, and I think that that'll help Gallinari a lot, too. Uh, the, look, the defensive part's still going to be a problem. Like, the, <laughs> I think that <laughs> it's going to be a big problem, particularly if the, the Hawks do make it to the playoffs. Like, teams are going to just pick on him across a seven-game series. Um, but I will say this. If you look at the defensive numbers on him, he wasn't as bad in isolation as you would think. Uh, I, I think that as an isolation defender in the regular season setting, like just, just facing a different opponent every night, he can actually hold his own. He's not bad. But, you know, teams, are gonna, teams with really good guards are going to pick on him. Um, and that's just how it goes. Like, that's just what you got to give up with a guy like that. But fortunately I think the Hawks, you know, with drafting um, the guy out of USC, I think they're starting to, you know, kind of form that defensive base that they want on the back line and then having Capella too will help too. So I think uh, when Gallinari has a guy covering his back in terms of a weak side shot blocker or somebody who can slide over and help, I think that that helps make him uh, you know, less of a liability on defense. Yeah, so, so let's talk defense. Obviously, he's not great. Everybody kind of knows that. He is pretty big and pretty physical, which helps um, just as a baseline. Um, but here's the here's the thing I wanted to get to, um, sort of broadly speaking. You, you mentioned a lot of the stuff there, but there's this, there's an idea that if they don't trade John Collins, they could, at least at times, play Gallo at the three. And that seems like a little bit of a stretch to me at times, especially defensively. Do you think that actually could work in limited deployment, or is it a situation where he's just kind of a four at this point and can't really move well enough to guard wings? I think he could do it in a pinch. I just don't think it's something that you're going to do in a playoff series or you're going to do over an extended period of time. You could get a couple of minutes out of him a night doing that if you want to play some bigger lineups and some some lineups that um, you you want to get a little bit more athleticism on the floor, but I I wouldn't recommend that. I I, I just don't (laughs) – Uh, at this point, you know that that's really putting him in precarious situations if you're playing him anything but a but a stretch four role, um, because you know even the Thunder were hesitant to put him at the five, and you would think that that would be a great idea in terms of the spacing, but he's just not that great of a rim protector, and he's not that great in space when he's trying to you know be the guy that that has to switch or be the guy that has to cover a, a, a roll man or a dive man, so. I mean, I really think he's a pure just four at this point. You might be able to get some five minutes out of him if you can get a you know a power forward next to him that could provide some shot blocking. Um, but I really wouldn't put him at the three. I think going into last season, people were like, "Oh, he can 
he can guard small forwards. It's like, yeah, but for how long? It's always about how long can right. you guard small forwards. Like, how long can you survive in a situation where you're going to be up against ball handlers that can easily beat you off the dribble, and then you're compromising everybody else's rotations? So to me, it's like <laughs> there aren't a ton of uh, smaller guys that he's going to be able to stick with for you know for 10, 15 minutes. You're going to want him ideally on you know those stretch fours, those guys that are kind of in the corner. Um, and he's, he, I think he's a smart defender. I just don't think his body allows him to do some of the things that you need from that position. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought as well. And, you know, part of this, you know, this, how this works, this locker room dynamics, this is a guy you're paying $60 million to, and you don't normally sign guys to that kind of deal to have him call off the bench, but then you also yeah. have John Collins as this incumbent guy who played so well last year. So if he's there, you know, it's logical that you might want to at least, you know, fake it and maybe play Gallo at the three for three minutes to start the game just so he could say he's starting that kind of uh, you know it's always a guess to some degree from the outside as to how that dynamic is going to work but I'm just thinking out loud it's a question I keep getting and I don't have an answer yet because these guys aren't even dialed in yet there's no info no intel yet but I just wonder if you bring in a guy at that kind of number in year one how you don't start him but at the same time maybe he's okay with it because he's an older guy yeah and and to me you know the first thing that comes to mind for me is you know how does how does, how does, um, you know, how does, for some reason, I'm just blanking on Lloyd's last name right now. Pierce. What's, what's Pierce. Pierce. <laughs> why do I want to call him Collins? Um, no, but for like Lloyd Pierce, like that, that, this is the challenge. You know, he's, he's built up a lot of equity with the fan base from afar in terms of his work in social justice and yep. in terms of how he's, he's trying to work with these younger guys. But, you know, when your team decides to, you know, metaphorically push in the chips and like go for it, you know, they were in conversations with the Gordon Hayward stuff. You know, they went and signed Gallinari. They're going to get Bogdanovich. They're bringing in guys to accelerate this process. Like, this is what, like, and, and look, Lloyd's seen this firsthand. He's seen, you know, the Brett Brown team go from no expectations to all of a sudden their expectations. So he should know how to handle this. It doesn't mean that he'll handle it well. And it doesn't mean that the guys that he's trying to say, hey, we need you to sacrifice to are going to be able to make those sacrifices. Like is John Collins going to be able to make those sacrifices? Is Clint Capella in a point in his career where he's going to be able to make the sacrifices necessary to get the rookie on the floor. So it's like some of these guys are probably going to have to go at some point. Um, the, the question is, you know, what are you going to open up uh, the regular season with and how long those guys are going to be able to sacrifice in order to get everybody happy and keep everybody fed. And look, that doesn't just go for the front court guys. That goes for guys like shit, that goes for guys like Kevin Herter. Yep. That goes for guys like Cam Reddish. Um, you know, Bogdanovich is going to take some of their minutes. So it's like I, I'm really interested to see how that dynamic works because I know that Lloyd is preaching to these guys' family and trying to preach to these guys, you know, that they need to work for each other, but you know, that's easier said than done. Yeah, it really is. And that's, I mean, I'm of the mind that starting lineups don't really matter that much. Um, it's about closing lineups. It's about deployment. But still, yeah. the Hawks have a very, very crowded room. I like depth. Uh, they like they like depth as well. But at the same time, these are real human beings. And a lot of the young guys are trying to make money in the future, too. You want, exactly. you, want, you, you want to play and get on the court and all that stuff. So it's being very interesting to navigate that. The last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, and I appreciate it all the time, is uh, how how was covering Gallinari? He's not a guy that I've covered uh, in, in sort of in person individually before. An older guy, I think, is well respected. But uh, what's the experience like there? And of course, now he's the older he's the oldest player on the team, so people are naturally asking about leadership stuff and all that. You know, I, I think he's pretty low key. 
Um, you know, he doesn't say a ton in his interviews. Uh, and it's not that his English is bad. I think he, he speaks perfectly fine English. It's just he's pretty concise. He's very, um, you know, he's very kind. But at the same time, like, he'll, he'll pretty much keep it real about what the deficiencies are and what the strengths are or what's going on on the court. Um, he seemed like to me a guy that got along pretty well with everyone. Um, you know, he has, he's very close with his family. Uh, and his dad kind of, you know, his dad mostly lives the, 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 the most of the year in, in the U S out of Denver. And then he's got a younger brother who played some, uh, some college basketball too. So they've got a close knit bond and, you know, he's, he's this guy that has kind of been like this, this basketball savant from a very young age. Cause his dad, was a pro, um, you know, he was a kid who was lighting it up in Italy when he was young. So he's really been like a savant of the game for a really long time. And I think that that will help kind of, you know, mature some of the guys that he's working with. He, he, he's a smart guy and he's been around the league for long enough and seen enough and experienced enough to know, you know, how to adjust your game when you lose that athleticism, like go look at some tapes of Gallinari when he was in Denver yep. and when he was with the Knicks, this guy was explosive. He was, he was off the dribble, breaking guys down off the dribble, dunking on guys. He was, he was really, really explosive for a guy that size, but it's a testament to him that he's, he's overcome the injuries he has to still be a, a you know, a quality NBA player. And, you know, I keep going back to this, but he just changes the way you can play just by being on the floor. Go look at the on-off splits on, uh, on offense uh, when he's on and off the floor with the Thunder. You know, it wasn't just Chris Paul. All the best lineups they played had Gallinari there because he can space the floor. Just him standing there forces you to have a guy out there on him, and that's going to make Trey Young's life just exponentially easier. So I, I think he'll be good for the, the locker room. I think he'll be good for the team, and, you know, I – I'd expect him to perform well as long as he doesn't get hurt. And that's the big key. Yeah, managing him will be crucial, but I'm, I'm with you across the board there. You know, offensively, the Hawks just badly needed shooting and spacing and another guy who can get his own shot as well, and he can do that. So a pretty interesting addition. Of course, there's lots of dynamics in play, but uh, that's a good primer, I think. Eric, thanks so much for joining me, man. Uh, please plug anything that you have going on. I know you're doing great work at The Athletic covering a very busy Thunder team, but uh, please share where people can find your work at. Yeah, theathletic.com, man. That's that's where we're at, and you know we've we've been all over free agency and the trade situation in the NBA, and it's crazy to think, man, that we're just a matter of days before training camps open again. <laughs> this thing is just kind of bled into each other, but uh, theathletic.com is is where we are, and, and make sure to follow us and um, you know our work there. So. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, for, thanks again for doing this. And it's going to be a wild ride with camp uh, approaching. But uh, I would encourage everyone to follow Eric's work. Please subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see you all next time.